Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. House Sanctum is one of the original Keyforge houses. They can hold a board, they can capture amber, but can they hold their own in Winds of Exchange? Let's find out together in the Sanctum Playbook. Let's get sweaty. Welcome to Keyforge Public Radio with your host, Zach Armstrong. Welcome, dear listener. This is Keyforge Public Radio, where we are helping you get better at Keyforge. I am your host, Zach Armstrong, and welcome to this episode where we're talking about House Sanctum and Winds of Exchange. What's their playbook? What are they good at? What are they bad at? What are you going to expect? What do you need to look for when you're playing with or against Sanctum in Winds of Exchange? We're going to look at a couple things. Their penchant for capturing amber. They do that a lot, so we're going to look at how they capture amber, what you can do with it. We're going to look at their specialized amber burst because they do have it this set funnily enough they had a little bit in dark tidings as well but they've definitely got some specialized amber bursts that we're going to look at so that you can be aware of it play towards it and then we're actually going to break our playbook rule a little bit the playbook rule is that we look at the commons and uncommons from a house in winds of exchange so that we can get an idea of what they're going to be doing really on average in most given games you know, knowledge that you take with you that whether you're playing sealed at a local, uh, sealed in a local context, or whether you are headed off to a vault tour, things you'll generally see with Sanctum, especially when they're operating well. However, this time we're going to look at a couple rares and specifically some rare artifacts. They warp the game so completely that I believe they bear mentioning this time around. And then, of course, we'll wrap up talking about their token creatures, all four of them, and what value each of them brings to the table. Again, this is Keyforge Public Radio. We're diving into the Sanctum Playbook. And hey, if you're not subscribed on your preferred listening platform, go ahead and do that, because then you can make sure to hear these episodes when they drop. Let's dive in. Sanctum has always been great at capturing Amber. From Gatekeeper and Call of the Archons, Call of the Archons, capturing all but five of your opponent's amber, keeping them off that key, or up to Age of Ascension with Obeyed the Grim, the creature capturing three amber and then reaping and discarding the captured amber from that creature. Sanctum has always captured amber, but they haven't always known what to do with it. Capturing amber can be good in especially a sealed context, where perhaps your opponent is not going to be as ready to fight off the creatures with captured amber to use cards to remove those creatures and to get it back. Because in in this set, especially with Sanctum, there's no way to dump that captured amber. It really is simply a tempo it really is simply a tempo hit. You capture that amber, so hopefully you're stopping them from forging a key, right? Putting them one more forge a key step behind where they would be otherwise. But as soon as they get that amber back, they're back in the game. They've just lost some time. So Sanctum is Sanctum is very good at that, and that is useful. Not nearly as good, of course, as amber loss or amber stealing. So when we look at captured amber, uh, if you can take over a game simply by capturing the amber and then reaping out and holding that board, 
excellent. That is a viable path to victory in a number of circumstances. Maybe you know you can push for that if in a game with open deck lists you have uh, used up used up all of your opponent's creature control. Or in a sealed match, you go ahead and capture it and keep go ahead and capture it and protect it. And if they can't get to it, well, they're just going to have that much harder of a time forging their keys if they're not making up for it elsewhere. Aside from tempo, once that amber goes back to your opponent, really they're going to be ready to forge with it. And one of the only things, even in all of Winds of Exchange, to actually hit that hit a large amount of amber advantageously is Martyr of the Vault here in Sanctum in Winds of Exchange. Martyr of the Vault is a four power, one armor, human knight. It is a creature with the ability destroyed. If your opponent has seven amber or more, they lose all but five. The the destroyed effect is great if they have seven or more amber, then you get them down below the amount they need to forge a key. So that's fantastic. However, the biggest issue is that it's a destroyed ability. And so the best way to get this to fire is to play Martyr of the Vault and then immediately destroy it. There is Nidapult, the artifact in set that lets you put a creature into play ready. And so Martyr of the Vault can come in ready, but then you need something of at least five power to fight into. Now, there are a couple of great ways to do this. There's a few rare artifacts like Blorb Hive and Offering to Killagog that have Omni destroy a creature and then you do a couple other things. So those are great for, in a Sanctum turn, playing Martyr of the Vault and then immediately blowing it up with either of those artifacts. So you have an on-demand scaling Amber Control response, which is, which is pretty fantastic. And I do have to shout out the, the uh, things that let you capture a whole lot at once because those get really powerful. It really feels like when you put it, are putting capture on a card, you need to put a whole lot more capture on a card for it to be powerful. You need to be taking so much amber that it really is a tempo hit to your opponent, even if they get it back later. Things like Lightbringer Outpost, the uncommon artifact that lets you put a friendly creature on the bottom of its owner's deck. If you do, a friendly creature captures three. Three is quite a lot, right? There is Request to Donations where you make a token creature and it captures two. So you're getting a token creature and then taking some amber. There's also Colonel Mariana, the creature that has play every friendly knight creature captures one. And you can usually have a couple of knights out there much better about those knight synergies in this set. So... I, I think that capture is good when you can do it a bunch when it's an actual tempo hit and Martyr of the Vault can really deliver if you're able to dump some of that amber back to get them above that seven threshold. Uh, otherwise, that amber is going to go back if they're blowing it up and it's not doing a whole lot for you. But in bigger bursts like with Lightbringer and with Mariana, I think you're in a pretty good spot, a pretty good spot. Next, Sanctum does have their specialized amber burst. This is really fun that this is present here in Sanctum in Winds of Exchange. Of course, the most famous card is the action card at Common here in Sanctum, Membership Drive. It says, play, make a token creature, gain one amber for each friendly token creature. It is such a good card, especially when you get a deck that wants to make a lot of tokens. Maybe you have Mars with a couple of their great token makers like we talked about back in their playbook just last week. Or you have other things to make a whole lot of tokens at once, even in Sanctum, like a Katarina the Summoner with a whole bunch of amber on her who has destroyed make a token creature for each amber on Katarina the Summoner. Maybe pairing that with something like Lightbringer Outpost, right? So you can get a whole lot of tokens in one turn and then get a big payoff 
for it with Membership Drive. A couple of the advantages Membership Drive has as an Amber Burst card is, one, you generally have some control if you have a couple of token creatures over how much you can uh, you can play it for, right? You can uh, You can either destroy a few tokens, you can play a few more tokens. Generally, you want to go as high as possible unless you're facing down some scaling Amber control. So you've got some control there. It rewards you for tokens that you've even put into play this turn. So let's say you've made a whole lot of tokens and then you play Membership Drive, you're already getting rewarded for that board presence on the same turn before your opponent can respond. The other consideration with Membership Drive is that it's getting you, because it's getting you an amber per token creature, that is either double the amber for a Sanctum token creature board where you're reaping out and playing Membership Drive, or it allows you to take a really productive big off turn if you have a whole lot of tokens in one of your other two houses, right? If that's the token that came with the deck, you can go over into Sanctum and still capitalize on having a whole lot of token creatures. So I love the versatility it gives there, that it is always rewarding token creatures, something many decks want to do anyways, and it helps soften the blow if you're, you've put some good cards underneath as tokens, if you can still get the membership drive out, play that, and get a ton of amber, you're still moving pretty strongly towards that third key with your amber burst. A few honorable mentions here. Membership Drive, of course, really is the biggest specialized amber burst, but a few honorable mentions here to a reprint, an uncommon artifact, Sigil of Brotherhood, that says Omni, sacrifice Sigil of Brotherhood. For the remainder of the turn, you may use friendly Sanctum creatures. This is fantastic with a Sanctum token if you either need to fight or reap out. If you're making a whole lot of Sanctum tokens, this really lets you, uh, like Membership Drive does on an off-house turn, capitalize on the presence of those tokens. So keep an eye out for that. That is really kind of a reap out strategy like we have with uh, SV3 Lander, the Uncommon Star Alliance artifact that has Omni. You may use friendly token creatures this turn. That really does uh, the same thing just for all token creatures instead of for just Sanctum creatures. So look out for Sigil of Brotherhood there. And then another classic reprint, Glorious Few. Now, not as many on average decks, I think, will want to use Glorious Few to great effect. Glorious Few is an action card that gains you Amber, one for every uh, one uh, for every creature your opponent controls uh, more than you do. So if they control four, you control two, it would gain you two. Now, if you want to blow your own creatures up with something like the rare uh, Martyr's End or, or some other trick to blow them up, especially if you're getting a benefit for blowing them up, like drawing a card with Prospector, then you're in a great spot to at least have this one-turn combo that bursts really high at the sacrifice of taking away a lot of your own creatures. But Glorious View definitely uh, can operate, but less so in Winds of Exchange because it rewards you for having few creatures, and generally in Winds of Exchange you want to have a lot, and you will with tokens if you're just playing everything that comes into your hand. Now, lastly, before we get to the token creatures, I mentioned talking about a few game-warping rare artifacts because they both have such a huge impact when they do hit that it's actually important to be aware of these. First off is Him to Duma. This is an artifact with the power trait, and it is, says each friendly creature gains Omni. Destroy this creature. A friendly creature captures two. So the Omni there, of course, giving an Omni ability to all friendly creatures means you can use them for that ability no matter what house you're in. And it lets a friendly creature capture two. It is the combo potential of having the Omni on all friendly creatures that really shines here. Him to Duma 
is very good at letting you blow up creatures and use destroyed abilities and capture amber however you want to. It has a lot of combo potential, really because it gives all those friendly creatures Omni, and then in some decks they'll make use of the capture too, in some decks they won't. So keep an eye out for him to Duma. This one is quite powerful. The other card is Heavy Subsidies. Now this is an artifact, again rare, it is a law, and it says keys cost plus six. Keys cost plus six, so that's for everybody. Everybody's default key cost goes to 12. It also says each creature gains after reap gain one. So that's friendly creatures and enemy creatures. That's all creatures in play gain after reap gain one. So they're going to be gaining two of total on a reap. Now, this card is so fun and so interesting that I actually wrote an entire blog post about it. I'll uh, put it in the show notes here, analyzing how game warping this card is. Because in effect, what it does, what you need to keep in mind if you're playing with or against heavy subsidies is that it halves the value of all non-reaping amber. The value of steel is halved because, remember, keys are your goal. We've talked about Keyforge as a racing game. You've got to keep those keys in mind to get you to your third key, right? And so we've just doubled the amber it takes to get a key. So stealing one is now a twelfth of a key instead of a sixth of the key. But reaping still gets you a sixth of a key. And then all of a sudden, looking at, uh, you know, really the funny special token creatures like Blorb or Amberling, these things cannot reap. You are removing your access to extra reaps through those tokens, so you'd better be capitalizing on them in other ways. But Amberling is still only one twelfth of a key, and if you're using something like Membership Drive on Blorb, you're still only getting, you know, one twelfth of a key per creature. So Heavy Subsidies is an awesome game warping artifact that I think is fantastic, and you really have to be aware of what the math is doing because it's just, it's so good, and it just totally, totally warps the game in really, really cool ways. So looking at Sanctum's token creatures, they've got Squire, Defender, Cleric, and then the special one, Disciple. These are all these are all quite fun and cool in their own ways. Some of them are better than others, I do believe. We'll start with Squire. Squire has two power, which is great, like we've talked about earlier. Even just having two power on a token makes it pretty useful. And it has Taunt. Now, often you'll end up with more of these Taunt pockets, right, than you know what to do with if you're making a number of these. And they're not terribly hard to fight off, but... Taunt means you're removing some of your opponent's options for removing your creatures. It means they have to do extra fights to get in there, especially if you have squires on both sides of a uh, particular creature that you're protecting, right? So not terribly hard to remove, but two power is pretty good, and taunt is fun to play with. So squire is squire is fine. I think it's a, a solidly middle-of-the-pack uh, token creature, for sure. Then Defender has two power, one armor, and here's the thing, it has the knight trait. It has the knight trait. So it's got a couple of great things going on. The armor is based in in one sense, right, regenerative, regenerative power that doesn't apply towards how much damage it does, right? It makes it a bit more survivable from ping damage. So 2-1 is fantastic. And the thing is, with having it having the knight trait and that extra defense, right, via that armor... Makes it so good with things like Colonel Mariana, where all night creatures capture one. Uh, it means that Squire Recruitment, the action card that says uh, play for every night, for every friendly night, make a token creature. 
because defender is a knight you're going to at a minimum double your number of token creatures because you count all your defenders and then you go ahead and make another token creature for every friendly knight in play so there are some great squire recruitment membership drive decks out there where you can just double and gain profit all day it's absolutely fantastic so i really like defender it's a really cool card it's sticky it sticks to the board you're going to be able to reap out with it you're going to be able to fight a little bit with it if you need to so as far as sanctum token creatures go i like defender a lot i don't think it's as good as grunt or a few other uh, tokens, but it's it's pretty solid. I'd say a solid B, <laughs> a solid B on a traditional grading scale there. Next, we have Cleric. Cleric is one power, and it says after Cleric enters play, capture one. Now, the interesting thing about this, you capture after it enters play, not after it is played, because, of course, first off, token creatures enter play they are not played we talked about this and the reasoning for it back in the token creature episode episode two all about token creatures everything you need to know and what's great about cleric is that even though it's one power so pretty easy to take out is that it turns token generation into amber control remember we talked about capture earlier in this episode capture is tempo right capture is tempo so if you're able to generate if you're able to generate token creatures and so maybe capitalize on them in some other ways, you are you are controlling the amber tempo of the game with the capture and hopefully capitalizing on the presence of these token creatures in some other way as well. So it is very interesting. They are easy to they're easy to kill, but there is some cool tech and some cool things you can do with them. And a deck that wants to generate a lot of clerics is going to constantly be capturing amber and constantly be bothering the opponent by taking all of that from them. So cleric has some cool tech to it. I haven't seen any top tables in this Vault Tour season. However, I think there are some very cool things you can do with it. There might be a Vault Tour worthy deck out there that really just abuses the heck out of cleric. And just look out for some fun tech you can do by capturing, you know, one across all, a whole bunch of creatures like this. Lastly, Disciple is a one power human monk, and it says Disciple gets plus one power and plus one armor for each monk neighbor it has. It itself is a human and a monk, so it will power up itself. Other things that are monks are uh, Grey Rider and uh, Revered Monk, of course. <laughs> Bit of an unfortunate card there. So this one... It becomes sticky when it has better neighbors, right? It gets up to a 2-1 and then eventually a 3-2, which is fantastic. That's very sticky. But you have to have kind of a board full of Sanctum to really start having enough of these to make a difference. They do, of course, come with Baterial de Grey, who readies each Disciple after Reap, which is fantastic. You can rule of six real quick with Disciples that way. So this is a very cool one. I think you can hold a board quite well in a good Disciple deck with a lot of monks if you're doing this in, in Sealed or something else. However, I haven't seen this have a whole lot of power because it does have, even though it's a relatively easy one to pull off, it does have a qualification on becoming more buff. At one power, it's crazy easy to get rid of. And then as a 2-1, it's a little bit tougher. As a 3-2, it's great. But a 3-2 has multiple needs all on top of it. So that is the Sanctum playbook for Winds of Exchange. Hopefully that helped to give you some insights into what this house is doing uh, here in Winds of Exchange. And of course, as you're hearing this, we're just a number of days away from the Grim Reminders GameFound campaign. So be looking out for that on GameFound.com. You can just type in Grim Reminders or Keyforge and it'll pop right up there. Uh, the 
Ghost Galaxy has moved to doing crowdfunding for their sets so far, it seems. So keep an eye out as they reveal all the tiers of what you can get, all the special things from this campaign that you can get uh, through the game found there. I've been Zach Armstrong. Check out KeyForgePublicRadio.com for blogs and episodes and other things. You can check out the merch shop there. We have a couple new designs over the past few months that have gone up in the shop. And of course, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, you get access to our Discord and access to everything on Patreon. That's two Patreon-only episodes per month talking about how the podcast is doing and my news and reactions to more current KeyForge news as well. Thank you especially to our Airwave Advocate level supporters like Paul Roadrunner. And remember, like your radio dial, may your Keyforge skills always be well tuned. Visit KeyforgePublicRadio.com to find all of our episodes, transcripts, blog posts, the KPR store, and more. Keyforge Public Radio is made possible with support from listeners just like you who believe in this game and this show. When you join the Patreon, you receive access to votes on content, sneak peeks, early knowledge of interviews, access to the Discord, and other benefits. So come on down, I'd be honored if you joined us. Follow KPR on any social media platform you frequent. Just search for Keyforge Public Radio, and we're probably there. This show is produced by Rooster High Productions, which is me. And remember, dear listener, the most important part of Keyforge is the person across the table. <laughs>